listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Well, good morning. We are uh, continuing our look at uh, what we call kind of this theological history of uh, God's people in the book of Acts and really the work of God's spirit through God's people. Uh, The risen Jesus has commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and share the good news of his forgiveness and his life and his peace and that God's kingdom through Jesus has broken into this world and it's now available to all of us. And up to now, that message has mostly stayed among God's covenant people, the Jews, and in Jerusalem. But led by a vision from God, the apostle Peter goes to Caesarea, and he goes into the house of a Roman centurion. And as he preaches the good news of Jesus, this Roman, Cornelius, and his family believe, and the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. They begin to praise God. And then Peter baptizes them in Jesus' name. So now we pick up the story in Acts chapter 11, where Peter has gone back to Jerusalem, to the church there, and they are confused, they're offended, they're upset, and they want to know why Peter has done what he has done. When I was a kid, I loved visiting my grandparents in Oklahoma, especially my mom's dad. He was a really fun grandpa. He encouraged me and my brothers to uh, go fishing with him and uh, go hiking and be outdoors and climb and uh, build things and uh, get dirty. And uh, I remember one time when I was about six, we were there again in the summer in Oklahoma. It was hot. We were cooling off in the yard by running back and forth through the sprinkler. And uh, this had been going on for a while, so the ground had gotten all kind of soggy, and one thing led to another. Boys being boys, it turned into a gigantic mud fight. But at some point, and I know this was definitely not me, it was absolutely one of my older brothers, one of them got into a pile of manure that my grandfather had for fertilizing his garden. And so then all of a sudden, we weren't just throwing mud pies at one another, it was cow pies. And at some point, uh, we ended up getting absolutely covered head to toe in all kinds of mud and dirt and filth. Now, Grandpa and us boys thought this was all in good fun, but the look of horror on my mother's face, I can still remember. And that's kind of the the best picture that I can come up with for the way that these Jewish believers perceived what Peter has just done in going to the home of these Gentiles. It's not just wrong. It's offensive. It's repulsive. It's unclean. Worse than all that, the the Romans are the enemies of God's people. It, It would be like betraying your nation as well. But by the end of the story, those Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem end up praising God for what he has done. Why? What could make someone so radically change their perspective on themselves, on how they think of themselves as the people of God, as their understanding of how God works? It's this message of Jesus. It's the offer, the, the message of God's kingdom breaking in through the gospel. 
The gospel changes how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see everything else. And I think there's a message for us in this passage that we're looking at today in Acts 11, if you haven't turned there already. Three things that we want to see in this passage. How the gospel breaks barriers, the gospel exceeds expectations, and the gospel elicits a response. Let's just start with that, that the gospel breaks barriers. That's kind of obvious right from the beginning, if you were paying attention in the passage. In verse 2 of chapter 11, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Now, we'll just stop right there. Pastor Joy last week just sort of gave a brief preview of this circumcision party, which, if you think about it, is two words we don't normally put together. We don't normally think of circumcision and party as being a thing, but it basically means uh, the, the Jewish followers of Jesus who believed that because they were Jewish, they were set apart by this physical sign in their bodies of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And they criticized them and said, you went to these uncircumcised men and ate with them. And again, remember in this context, to go to someone's home and to eat a meal with them is more than just saying, hey, let's go grab something to eat. It's a sign of close fellowship and community and communion with one another. And now these events are probably taking place seven, eight, maybe ten years after the beginning of the book of Acts, after Pentecost. The church has started to grow. If you remember, if you've been following along the series, we, we've heard about Pharisees and priests becoming followers of Jesus. Philip has shared the gospel in Samaria and seen people come to follow Jesus, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch as well. But the church has not really gone out to the Gentiles. They probably didn't even think to go to the Gentiles because it was the most significant religious, cultural, ethnic barrier that you could imagine. They could not imagine that God would be for other people because all through their history as Jews, that's their identity. We are the chosen ones. We have God's truth. We have true religion. We have God's law. We have God's presence with us by his spirit in the temple. We have the sacrifices. And for them, Jesus is the fulfillment, the Messiah who comes to be the ultimate representation and fulfillment of all of those promises. He is the great high priest. He's the final sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the meeting place of heaven and earth. And they knew from scriptures that God was calling all the nations to come and worship him. But they naturally assumed that that meant all those nations would become part of Israel and take on all the cultural and laws and traditions and expressions. So this is deeply challenging their most core beliefs about who they are and who God is and who the people of God are. The cultural implications of Peter going to these non-Jewish people was for them more significant, at least initially, than what actually happened. You went in to uncircumcised people and ate with them? And I guess it's probably easy to look at this story from 1,900 years distance and think, man, those Jewish believers, what is wrong with them? They're really judgmental. They think these people don't belong in, in God's family. 
But I, I wonder if sometimes there's some of that attitude among us. I, I know there is for me. It's easy at times to have a picture or an idea in our mind of what a good Christian looks like. What defines that person? That sometimes we have expectations about the kinds of people that God is looking for or that God is working through, the kinds of people that God might save. But the gospel breaks those barriers. It, it sends us as God's people to places that we probably wouldn't choose to go to and to people that we probably wouldn't choose. It sends Peter to people that he definitely would not have chosen to go to. And I wonder if there are people for you that the Holy Spirit maybe is prompting you towards that you would naturally not think of. You know, at our former church in St. Louis, our youth pastor saw a real need in our community for reaching out to urban culture youth in our suburban context. So some of them started attending church. They, they didn't look like most of the people in our congregation. They didn't dress like most of the people in our congregation. They didn't act like most of the people in our congregation. And one dear lady approached me and said, are you going to tell that young man to take his hat off in the sanctuary? And I smiled and I said, nope, I'm just glad he's here. And to her credit, she kind of chuckled too and said, you're right. You know what? I'm glad that they're here no matter what they're wearing. I want Faith Church to continue to be the kind of place where people can come in and explore what it means to know Jesus and, and find him and what Christianity is before they have their lives together. That this is a kind of place that people don't have to meet certain criteria or look like a particular kind of standard that we sort of expect is what good Christians look like. This is, this is not a club with membership entrance requirements. And if you're hearing me and you're not a Christian, if you're exploring Christianity, if you're a seeker, you're just trying to figure it out, maybe you look at the evangelical church in America and you wonder if God is here. Because you can see the hypocrisy and the scandals and the big-name leaders who love power and money. And I just want to say, look deeper. Hang around. Get to know some followers of Jesus at a personal level and, and look for evidences in their lives of kindness and compassion and forgiveness and love and humility. Because for all of us, there are probably people that we'd rather not think about people we'd probably rather not hang around with because it doesn't fit with the kind of people that we think God loves or reaches out to or cares for or would connect me with. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, I know we have some Ohio State fans in here. Maybe it's hard to imagine people from Michigan, you know, could, could be loved by God. I, growing up in Oklahoma, that was, you know, OU-Texas rivalry. It was at that level. Maybe it's you know, I can't imagine anyone who votes Democrat or anyone who votes Republican could really be a follower of Jesus. I, I'm thankful that faith has so gladly and, and significantly taken up this call to go beyond Indianapolis, beyond the Midwest, beyond the U.S., to the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus' love and forgiveness for all who will receive him. But just like with these people, that 
mission really starts mostly at home here with the people who are right around us. Jesus wants people to know him as Lord and Savior, and the way that that happens is through us, through the church. And so maybe what we have to wrestle with is that God calls us beyond ourselves. All of us have some kind of barriers inside of us. And and if you pray a prayer to say, God, who do you want to reach through me? Who would you send me to? He may send you to people that you wouldn't choose yourself and places that maybe you wouldn't choose to go because that's where our faith is grown. That's where we have to rely on Jesus because the gospel breaks down those barriers. And then the second thing in this passage is that we see the gospel exceeds expectations. The gospel exceeds expectations. Now, Peter has been walking with Jesus for several years now. He's come to see that he is Lord and Savior, and he's followed Jesus and seen all kinds of unexpected things. He's seen Jesus cleanse lepers and give sight to the blind and drive out demons, raise people from the dead. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water at Jesus' command. He saw the empty tomb. He's seen the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. So Peter is used to Jesus doing things that go beyond his expectation. And yet he still did not expect this, which tells me something significant. We can walk with Jesus for a long time and know him really well and still be challenged in what he's doing and where he's sending us. And he's taking us and doing things through us that are bigger than what we would expect. But now that Peter has come to understand that and accept that, he has to explain that and try and bring the other believers along with him. Look in verses 5 through 10. Peter explains how this happened to these people who were upset. I was in Joppa praying, and I saw this vision like a great sheet descending from heaven. And looking at it closely, there were all kinds of clean and unclean animals in it. And I heard a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and it was all drawn back up again into heaven. There's a a few things I just want us to observe here. First, Peter is praying when God speaks to him. That is, he's already put himself in a place where he's intentionally trying to hear from God. And draw close to God. I wonder if your prayers are like mine, though, where I do 99% of the talking. And it's not bad time. I mean, I'm praising God. I'm giving him thanks for good things. I'm interceding on behalf of other people. I'm praying for his work and his mission in the world. And all that's good, but I probably don't do much listening when I'm praying. And maybe not so much waiting. It doesn't really tell us what Peter is praying here. It just tells us what God did in response to Peter praying. And and I think the implication is that Peter left space to listen for God to speak to him. Do we expect God to actually respond and do something when we pray? Because Peter is in this place where he's expecting 
God is going to do something and he's waiting. He doesn't expect what God does because he brings this vision to Peter that, that's kind of confusing and disturbing. And I don't think we should read Peter as being disrespectful or disobedient when he's saying, not so, Lord. I think he's just really confused, understandably, because it sounds like God is saying, I want you to forget all those laws I told you before. This is the thing I want you to understand now. And then God tells Peter, no, I, I don't want you to call things unclean that I have made clean. And the repetition here, I think is God saying to Peter, you need to get this. This is important. Pay attention. This is big. Because Peter's expectations are just blown apart. He goes to this Gentile's house because God has told him to. And remember, he says back in chapter 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That is an incredible statement from a Jewish person, from a Jewish follower of Jesus. Because Jesus has come to break down the barrier that separated Jew and Gentile and to make one new people of God through faith in him. That's the entrance requirement. That's why the Holy Spirit coming on these Gentiles is such a big deal. Because the Jews are the covenant people of God who have God's presence. It was dwelling in the temple. And then at Pentecost, it comes and falls on these Jewish disciples of Jesus. But now for Gentiles to have God's presence on them and in them, all they can say is, man, the, the Spirit is doing something so much bigger than what we expected. That's what Peter's trying to explain to his, to his brothers in Jerusalem. Look in verse 13. He, he's quoting Cornelius. He says, Cornelius says, He told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. And as I began to speak, the Spirit fell on them, and I remembered the word of the Lord how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Spirit. Now, if you're the kind of person that underlines things in your Bible, 17, verse 17 is a good thing to underline. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Back up just a bit. Did you catch the part in verse 14? what the angel said to Cornelius, because we haven't heard this detail before. He, Peter, will declare the message by which you must be saved, by which you will be saved. Are there people in your life, sometimes we might not say it out loud, we might not articulate it, but we kind of think, I really don't envision them coming to Christ. I really cannot imagine them being a follower of Jesus. I mean, I know, God, you can do big stuff, but they are not going to change. I think this story tells us something important. Jesus is at work, and he will save whom he will save. And we should have expectations as big as this for the people in our lives. Look at what Peter says in verse 17, that, that 
underlined if, if you do that. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I've been wrestling with that this week because there are people in our lives for all of us whom we know need to know Jesus, need to know his hope and his forgiveness and his life, who need to know that there's a God who died for them, a God who loves them, a God who wants to save them and bring them into his eternal kingdom. Do I really trust by faith that God can do something that exceeds my expectations for those people? Maybe sometimes I haven't even opened my mouth to tell them about Jesus because I just wrote it off as impossible. Because I didn't think God could do beyond what I would expect. Can God do abundantly, exceedingly, far beyond what I could ask or imagine according to his power in Jesus Christ? Because the gospel the gospel expands our expectations. And then as a result of that, it elicits a response. The gospel always elicits a response. And there, and there are three here. First, of course, is the response of Cornelius and his family. They hear the good news of Jesus, they respond to it, and they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other languages and giving praise to God, just like the Jewish disciples of Jesus did on the day of Pentecost. And because they've been baptized into Jesus, they're now baptized in water publicly to picture that. If you have never come to the point of trusting Jesus to find his life, oh, don't leave here today without knowing that your hope and your faith is in Jesus. But if you have come to know Jesus in that way, and you've not been baptized, can I just ask you, why is that? Because this is the pattern that Jesus establishes. It's not about saving us. It's not that baptism, these people are already saved. But they're baptized as a demonstration of the fact that I have been baptized into Jesus' life, and I've died to my old life, and I've been risen to a new one. Maybe you've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years, and you think, oh, you know, at this point, it'd be kind of awkward or embarrassing. It doesn't matter. The, the pattern that Jesus gives to his disciples and that's here is that we're baptized as public witnesses to the fact that I belong to Jesus. And then there's Peter's response. I, I, I love this response of Peter when he goes back to Jerusalem. Peter is not the authority over the church because he goes back and he's willing to have his activities and his perceptions challenged by Jesus and then by the community of Jesus' people. He doesn't go back and tell them, on my authority because I'm Peter, you have to accept my perspective. No, in verse 4, see, Peter began and explained to them in order. And what wins them over is not Peter saying, well, listen to me because I'm Peter. It's because they can understand now from what Peter shares that the Holy Spirit has come on these people and these Gentiles have turned to him in faith. So what the gospel elicits from Peter is a response of humility towards the other believers and towards his own perceptions and from the rest of them, a commitment to unity. 
Everyone in this story, in this passage, is concerned that they want to know they're doing the right thing in relation to what God wants for them. And they work to understand each other, to consider each other, to learn from each other and find common ground because the gospel through the Spirit brings unity to the people of God. Because what we're united around is the gospel. And then the third response is these Jewish Christians who had questioned Peter. Look in in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Once they hear that God is clearly at work in these people's lives, well, then what is there left to do? There's no objection. If, if God's doing a work in their lives, who am I, like Peter said in verse 17, who are we to stand in God's way? And they were silent. Sometimes when God's truth hits us, the best response that we can have is to just be silent and reflect and listen, to know that God is God and he has done something incredible beyond my expectations. And then they praise God, they glorify God and celebrate that these Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit. That is incredible unbelievable that this story starts with these Jewish followers of Jesus upset and concerned and offended and probably even angry, and it ends with them praising God that Gentiles have been included in the family of Jesus. As the book of Acts unfolds, you know, we're going to go on and see there are other culturally Jewish Christians who continue to struggle with this idea that Gentiles don't have to become Jewish to be followers of Jesus. But for now, in this moment, there's celebration. So the gospel elicits these responses of faith that leads to salvation in Jesus, humility and unity, and then celebration at God's work in other people's lives. Is that what the gospel is producing in us? What do we do with all this? Just a, a few thoughts. This gospel starts in first century Palestine and goes through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and literally to the ends of the earth. We are the fulfillment of this promise that Jesus has made, that the message will go out and call people from every nation and language. There's no English-speaking white people in the story. We're here because people picked up this message and lived it out, and the message is still going out. And I think it tells us not only that we're grateful, but that Jesus is really serious about us spreading his gospel because that work has been going on for 1,900-plus years now. And the gospel has crossed all kinds of barriers and borders to come to us and then through us to other people. It's broken through every other religious system, every other cultural barrier, every language, every other kind of government and and economic system and and everything else. You notice this is the third time now that Luke repeats this story. Why do you think that is? I think he's writing primarily to a Gentile audience 
who need to know, along with these Jewish followers of Jesus, that the people of God includes everyone. That the gospel goes out in invitation and welcome to all who will come to Jesus. And it's a lesson that I, that we have to learn over and over again because our default by nature is tribal. I want to know who's in my group and who's outside my group. Who can I trust and who should I be suspicious of? Who's on my side? And we all default to kind of typical ways of defining that by ethnicity, by nationality, by language, by social standing, by birth or tribe or by gender or by age or by politics or, you know, what I think about this issue or that topic. And, and God keeps having to remind us that as far as boundary markers of who's in the people of God, the gospel obliterates all of it. It doesn't erase those distinctions. But as far as defining who's in and who's out, they are totally meaningless. What matters for inclusion in Jesus' community is what we see here, that people come to trust that Jesus is Lord and Savior over my life. And he has died to be Lord and to forgive my sins. And if I believe that and receive that and walk with him in that life, I'm a follower of Jesus along with everyone else. He doesn't prefer one nation or one language or one cultural expression over another. He doesn't care about education or profession or career or work or history or potential. So we can't either. And I know, man, it's so easy to look at how people dress and where they're from and how they talk and how they carry themselves and their political persuasions and their position on certain doctrines or theology, and we use that to determine whether or not they're really followers of Jesus or not. Instead of looking at the big thing, do they acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord, and is there evidence that the Spirit is at work in their lives? And another thing is that, uh, it's, you know, it's a good reminder, as I said before, this, this is not a story about uh, white English-speaking Christians in a representative democracy. We're kind of the outliers, really, in, in not even just the history of Christianity, but even the current reality of what Christianity looks like in the world. I, I think it's helpful for us to remember that we're not the standard of all things. There, there are more Christians living south of Jerusalem than north of Jerusalem. And that means that we're part of a, a body of believers that have all different kinds of ways to be a Christian and ways to do church that we can learn from and not make ourselves the standard. And finally, the, the fact that the gospel is going out and bringing in people and making an impact in their lives is cause for celebration. That, that people have heard it, that people have received it and believed it, that it's changing individuals and, and cultures and nations. And I think all of this is, is capped in the significance, it's brought together in the significance of what's happening here in Acts 10 and 11. Peter, in obedience to a command from God by the prompting of the Spirit, crosses over a boundary that God challenged him to step over 
and shared Jesus with people that he was sent to that he probably wouldn't have chosen, and God does something that just blows his expectations away and prompts a response. And as we go through this book of Acts, we're going to see that there's more and more response from people, non-Jewish people, as this gospel is spreading out from Jerusalem to the world. But beyond what happens in this story in the book of Acts and in the first century, the Spirit is continuing to work through people who are willing to pick up this calling and this commission to take the good news of Jesus to all the people around us. You're a part of this story. Not just on the receiving end, but, but on the taking it and advancing it forward part. You're part of the gospel changing lives and eliciting responses as it crosses barriers through you. And the story tells us to (laughs) expect that the gospel is going to exceed what we think God can do and who he's going to call and how he's going to work and that it will bring a response that, that people will actually come to faith in Jesus and be changed and that should encourage us and motivate us. As people who would say, God, what what are the boundaries that I've put up maybe between myself and others and who are the people that you want to take me to, that, that you would break down the barriers that I've put up in my heart and in my life. Lord, help me see past the limitations that I kind of expect and and the small vision that I have for how you would work and trust that you will use me, Jesus, to be a part of this story and take this message to people in ways that changes their lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love that sent your son Jesus to die, to reconcile us to you and rise again to defeat sin and death so that we could know you and have life in you. And not just us, but all peoples and nations and languages and tribes and cultures. Thank you that your gospel has spread to us and continues to spread through us to others. Help us be willing, Lord. Help us be ready and receptive to your spirit. Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us, show us where you want us to go and who you want us to go to, that you would exceed our expectations, Father, and work in us to draw a response through the gospel to bring people to know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.